From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Mickey Reese, a writer-director with over 25 films to his name. His film, Climate of the Hunter, was a festival favorite and is currently playing on Shudder in the U.S. and was recently released on VOD in the U.K. His latest film, Agnes, just debuted at Fantasia Festival 2021. Welcome to the show. Hi. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. I'm happy to be here. We're super excited to chat with you. Ever since uh, Mary Beth and I saw uh, Climate of the Hunter, I think it was at Chattanooga last year. Yeah, it was Chattanooga last year, I think. Uh, You've been someone I've desperately wanted to talk to, so we're really happy that that you're able to come on today. happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, so before we do talk about your creative endeavors, let's bring it back to the beginning. How did you get introduced to horror? So I had an older brother. Now, there, of course, there were like, I was a kid. I was uh, I was very young. I can't remember, you know, the exact age. He's nine years older than me, and I think he was, you know, 16 or whatever. So um, he worked at this uh, video store 
called Durham's. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, there were like uh, movies I liked, like uh, you know, I remember going to the theater with a friend to see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like and Batman. So <laughs> yeah. you know, that's how old I am, and those were like the movies. And uh, of course, in like uh, Five Old Ghost West and uh, American Tale, Land Before Time, these are movies I oh, I remember as a kid, but. My brother was really into horror movies for whatever reason, and he would bring home uh, horror movies every night, like a couple every night. So we would watch horror movies every night, and just I just thought that, you know, like I said, I, I, I knew of other movies, but I thought that these were kind of like some of the only movies. You know what I mean? Like, so, like horror gotcha, movies yeah. were just the movies, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, I didn't know enough different types of movies other than, you know, animated mm-hmm. or kids' movies. I thought just like, there's the the animated movies that I watch because I'm a kid, and then there's horror movies, and those are the only two types of movies. Right. <laughs> so honestly, that sounds incredible. If those were the only two types, of <laughs> right? I mean, that was kind of the same for me too, because like I I grew up in the '80s. I'm 40, so like I grew up in the '80s, and I saw a lot of animated stuff, and then I'd be introduced to horror stuff. And for me, those were like the two genres. Yeah. So I, I you know, so we watched everything, everything that he ever brought home. So everything that was on VHS at Durham's, which was a you know pretty extensive selection for horror for whatever reason i don't know um but that's all he watched so i just you know i just got used to watching you know all the uh, nightmare on elm streets and friday the 13th all the all the big i don't know i can't go back and look at an 80s horror movie that i haven't seen cool yeah so what were a few of the favorites that you guys watched together while you were growing up god i can't even i don't know dead alive i remember (laughs) very well hell yeah oh wow (laughs) that was amazing but you know, unfortunately, as I got older and, uh, you know, my taste kind of changed when I realized there were other movies besides horror movies, I was, you know, kind of like not really into horror movies anymore. I can't really say that. I, oh, okay. yeah. And, and I mean, I, was, I saw Candyman last night. You know what I mean? I'll still go see horror movies. I still watch them. But I mean, it's, it, you know, I, I, I don't know that that's my favorite genre of film. I think I, I lean more towards okay. like uh, you know, like dramedies, like Alexander Payne stuff is like that's that's my forte. But no one's gonna let me make those movies yet. So, so <laughs> <laughs> horror, horror is the way you know is the way into like low budget filmmaking to kind of like you know build your career in that way. I mean, it's just it's an easy easy path, I guess. So you know, it was in. I guess in making horror films, I guess whatever you call mine, horror, I guess, whatever they are, it's, you know, by design, they're kind of reinventing them because, you know, I'm bored with them. I'm bored with the the same old horror movies, so it's always like a matter of trying to recreate or, you know, uh, redesign a a horror movie. Like, so do something that, you know, that you don't normally see so that, you know, other people that might be bored with it might, you know, like it. Yeah. I, okay. I know this is jumping ahead, but I wanted to speak to that because Agnes is like, is really like scratches that edge for me because we like Terry, Terry and I are a little, it's a little bit of a disagreement about like exorcism movies. I like them a little bit more than Terry. And I, I know that they like, they have a very similar, like a very familiar plot. And Agnes was so cool because you were like, how about we just say fuck that and just do something completely different. And it's so cool. And like the more I've thought about it, the more I've been so impressed with like what you were able to accomplish with the idea of an exorcism movie. And it's completely different. It's so cool. 
Well, I mean, it's really not very different from in the beginning. I mean, the idea is to kind of, you know, lure the audience in with like a, yeah. a traditional exorcism movie and then be like, all right, now watch this thing. <laughs> um. It's incredible. <laughs> it's such a cool, like, I think the bait and switch. I was like, wait, what in the hell? Like, did he, did that really just happen? And it did. <laughs> you did that. Yeah, it is, it is to the degree of like, if we didn't do all the exorcism tropes, like at the beginning and make it, you know, a traditional, you know, exorcism movie, then no one would be. You know what I mean? It it, it, it wouldn't uh, the audience wouldn't be fooled, I guess. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's and uh, kind of going off of what Mary Beth was just saying. Like, I'm I'm not. I was never. I'm not born. In, I was not raised religious. I don't really have an affinity to like religious horror or exorcism movies. I'm. I've seen them. I'm. I think movies today are doing some more interesting things like by taking different aspects of it. Like we, we saw a couple this year that have taken um, like a Bruja approach to it or have taken, um, you know, a Jewish approach to it. And I think that the way that filmmaking today is kind of taking these tropes and, and running with it is more interesting. But what I really loved about Agnes since, since we're going there is um, the <laughs> sorry, fact that I jumped very ahead. <laughs> of the it takes, it takes like a, a two hour, an hour and a half, like exorcism movie kind of condenses it into like the sort of the first half of the film and then just sort of pulls the rug out. And as someone who is not a huge fan of exorcism movies, I was just entertained the entire way through because of that. Uh, you know, and also the movie we're going to talk about, you know, later in this podcast, uh, I only saw the exorcism once and that was in theaters uh, when they re-released it in maybe was it late nineties or early two thousands or something? Yeah, it was like, I think it was 99 around 99 or 2000 when they did that sort of exorcist, the, some kind of cut. Thing, yeah. Yeah. Right? And I, I saw it and I was like, fucking damn, this is a scary ass movie. This is like really awesome. Um, and never watched it again. Still haven't seen it again. And, uh, I, and I don't ever go back if, you know, if I'm making a certain kind of movie, I don't really go back and watch, uh, the other movies. I just kind of like, craft them out of like what i remember the movie being mm -hmm. like you know what i mean and um mm -hmm. so for to read reviews and stuff and people be like you know it's like similar to the exorcist like the story with the priest and stuff and i'm like i don't even remember that <laughs> so it was just like embedded Incredible. embedded in my subconscious or something well and so i guess like going back to then like your horror history and kind of like horror being embedded like, like embedded in yourself and your subconscious do you remember what your first horror movie was no way i was too young <laughs> I was too young. Like I said, Fair my brother was nine years older than me. It could have been any number of any number of movies. It's it's so interesting though that you have that age difference with your brother because um, I have that with I'm the oldest and my brother is eight years younger than me and um I kind of I seem like I was your brother for my brother because I introduced him to the horror genre, took him to see movies that were way above his his age level that like he probably shouldn't have seen, and I I think I, I don't know I think. Older siblings can be good for that. <laughs> yeah, I remember my mom taking me to see The Doors, like, in theaters. Oh. I don't know what was wrong with my mom, but th <laughs> that movie was fucking awesome as a kid. Like, <laughs> for whatever reason, like, I was yeah. like, God, that shit's haunting as hell. Okay, so uh, transitioning, let's uh, talk about how did you – have you always wanted to be a filmmaker? How did you get in interested in making movies? I my parents had a camcorder and me and the neighbor kid. Oh, we we saw Train Spotting, and uh, me me and the wow. neighbor kid were like, just you know, we were we were you know into like punk music and stuff. So it wasn't like so we would like you know dress cool and like just like heroin. It's really fucking good and just you know do like 
you know, little scenes, not from train spotting, but just like our own version of train spotting. Like, you know, we're, yeah, we're like fucking 10, like, 10, wow. 11, I don't know, like, like sh- train shooting, spotting. shooting, shooting fake heroin in our, in our little movie. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah, and then uh, then I met some other friends. That's what I and then I started high school and met some other friends that were uh, that was like whenever uh, Pulp Fiction had came out, and so like that was a big influence on all the kids, you know. Mm. So I met two other guys that wanted to uh, start making movies too, based on you know Tarantino stuff, and I was like, okay, cool. So uh, so we started making mob movies, like crime movies. Okay. So yeah, that was uh, you know that's well, that's what started it, and then I was. And then I just started, then I got my own, it was the camera that we were using, um, belonged to my friend Rich. And then I got my own camera for Christmas one year and just went to town, just, you know, making movie after movie after movie, just like, you know, any, anything I could make, anything I could do. And then when I got a car, it was fucking over. Cause then I can, no, cause I can drive <laughs> to the locations and film, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. Right. And it was a small town too. You know, we, where'd you grow up? Newcastle, Oklahoma. It's a very, uh. You know, very oh. small town, um, and you know a lot of it's drugs and uh, yeah, that's about it. And uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> and I was uh, and I was definitely into drugs, but I was more into to filmmaking. I, I don't know. Uh, I, it was that was like enough high for me for some reason. I know that sounds fucking cheesy as hell, but it really was. It was like you know filming with my friends and having a good time and making these movies was like better than you know any drug. I felt like. Yeah. What kind of movies did you make when you were like, when you were younger? Besides, besides, like I know you talk about the crime movies. Like, were there any other kinds of movies that you really? Oh liked yeah. Make? Well, whenever that's why I said when I, whenever I got my camera, I wasn't uh, beholden to these you know Tarantino fans anymore. You know what I mean? Like these these other kids <laughs> that are making the movies. I was I could make whatever the hell I wanted. So every one of them was different. You know. Cool. Yeah. I don't know. I'd have to. There's a documentary on the Alamo on Alamo on demand and it's kind of like a 30 minute documentary and it has a lot of those old movies and it. it's just like kind of describing the, 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 the ascent or, or whatever you want to call it of, you know, graduating okay. from making home movies with your friends to, you know, making bigger movies. <laughs> cool. Because I don't know, cause I wouldn't know where to start in describing like the movies that we made. You know what I mean? They're all, they're all in there, but we made every kind right. of movie as a kid and they're all, they're garbage looking. I mean, they're just, you know, really crappy, you know, home videos essentially, but edited with a, like a, an iMac, you know, like iMovie. So they're a little yeah. bit more glorified than a, than a home video. But So how did you transition from d- making those kind of home movies into uh, being a, a filmmaker? I didn't. Just I still work? doing the exact same thing. You know what I mean? Wow. <laughs> yeah. It hasn't changed. Oh, uh, God, I don't know. I st- And I, I started making movies with, um, I don't know, more people became involved, more people became interested. And, uh, and then people... Um, started kind of throwing in money. You know, I met okay. this uh, lady named uh, Beth Alonzo, goddamn just fucking angel woman, and she came to one of our premiere. We used to make, we'd make these movies and then premiere them at the uh, Oklahoma Contemporary, which is this um this art museum. Um and they have a little theater there and so that's where we would premiere our movies like every, you know, make like two three, three a year. Um so uh and we and wow. yeah, we built up like people people came to them actually like, you know, we actually had people coming to them like um you know, 150, 200 people. Um, so then this lady, and we were making them for free, like just, you know, with a camera, with a, like a DSLR camera with a mic, with a mic attached to them. This is graduating from obviously the little Sony handy cams or whatever the hell we were using when we were kids. Um, 
then this lady Beth Alonzo came up and she was like, Hey, I want to start like uh, giving you guys money for these movies. And so then we had budgets of like five grand. Like, I mean, could you fucking what? imagine like, <laughs> like we were like making movies for free, like just like with just scraps all your life. And then like, then you got right. five grand. It was like amazing. <laughs> so, uh, that's why I'm, you know, so appreciative now that I'm able to work with uh, bigger budgets, but I mean, my, my budgets are very small to me. They're fucking huge. You know what I right. mean? Yeah. It's all about yeah. perspective. Wow. So d- have you just learned along the way or did you go to film school? I or? didn't have time to go to film school. I was too busy making yeah. movies. Fuck, <laughs> fuck yeah. Like, that's, that's fucking amazing. amazing. I was too busy making movies for I mean, film like, school. I could not have imagined. Well, first of all, I'm not good at any kind of school. Like, it's a wonder I even, you know, got out of high school. Um, I've just... I mean, like, I'm just ADD. I just don't care. You know what I mean? Whenever I just, yeah. and so I'm, uh, I know that there's an easier way, you know, people always ask like advice and like, how do you, uh, you know, how did you uh, get to this point? Like to, for, you know, other filmmakers that, um, aren't working with the, the same size budgets and things like I always just say, I guarantee you whatever, you don't want to take advice from me. There's gotta be an easier way than the way I did it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like, so like probably yeah go to film school you know what i mean it's it ultimately just depends on taste and developing your taste it's not necessarily like um i mean i guess you know technique is involved but i mean um after a while you just like it's just like anything you're just working through your subconscious yeah, yeah. well you so you said you were direct you were putting out two to three movies per year for a while because you have what over almost over 25 movies under your belt yeah that's great that's a wild number they're not good though i mean there's <laughs> you didn't have to say yeah. that <laughs> you didn't have to say it they all have their charms uh there's uh you know there's a couple of real bad ones and um you know i'd say there's probably a good seven to eight watchable ones i guess now that it, now that the last two movies, i don't know there's probably 10 now what was the so? What was the turning point for you for thinking that uh, you you were making, as you say, good movies? Or I wanted to make this uh, that El- the Elvis movie, Mickey Reese's Alien, and I was like, oh fuck, mm-hmm. how am I gonna do this? I gotta like, I can't do this like we do all the other mumblecore style movies. You know what I mean? I have to have, I've got to have like costumes and production design and you know a cinematographer. I've got to have these things. It's the only way that this can that we can do this. And so we did a Kickstarter. And then, you know, from through that, just kind of like met uh, other people, like this gentleman that, uh, gentleman Ron Sewer, who gave us his house to use for the movie. And it's just this big, giant house. It absolutely doesn't resemble Elvis's mansion at all, but it <laughs> didn't matter because, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's absurdist, you know, it's a surrealist movie. So, you, you know, you're hardly caring about accuracies. So meeting him and then he had some friends. And so we started, you know, just networking and being able to like increase our budgets that way. Um, and then Strike okay. Your Mistress Secures Heart. That was the movie after Alien. We did that and uh, played at Fantastic Fest, and that was kind of the big like uh, turning point um, to where met Divide and Conquer, and they um, supported uh, Climate of the Hunter. Um, you know, just networking and meeting people and going to festivals and you know getting getting there. I mean, this is it's very new still. I mean, uh, Strike Your Mistress premiered in twenty eighteen. So, I mean, there's been, yeah, we've made three movies since then, but Jesus. <laughs> I'm still trying to work fast, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, 
I get that. Uh, so, okay. I, since you brought up climate of the hunter, I gotta, I gotta, t- I want to talk about Ben Hall and his performance. <laughs> I, awesome, right? He's yeah, amazing. He's, I, love him. I loved him in both that movie and, uh, um, Agnes is, has, have you worked with him before in previous or was that was climate of the hunter? The There's first a movie called arrows of outrageous fortune, okay. uh, in between strike and shit. I forgot about that movie. So that's four. So like, uh, he, so a buddy of mine introduced me to him, um, and he said, like, uh, this is the best actor in town, and I just, you know, saw some of the stuff, and I'm like, cool, we'll come do this little scene in this Arrows of Outrageous Fortune movie we're doing, and then we'll, and then, uh, and then after that, we, he was great, and he was easy to work with, and we got along, and, uh, so I wrote a role for him. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, I, I, that was Climber the Hunter. He's so charismatic. I will, I will, I will say this. He's awesome in Climate, he's awesome in Agnes. His best role is in Country Gold, this movie we just shot. His best performance. He's fucking awesome. That's all I'll say. I can't say anymore. Oh, I was going well, to say, oh, tell us more about that, but never mind. Yeah, he's awesome. Fine. Cool. Yeah, because I, I, according to IMDb, you're in prose production on that. So are we going to see that soon? Uh, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've, I mean, if I, if, I just, if I could just get him done and then just you know, show him, that would be fine. But, you know. Now we're doing festivals and stuff, and you gotta wait and all that. You know, right. you know the business. Yeah. How is Fantasia? How is Fantasia this year with Agnes? I mean, it, we're, it was all virtual, so I know it's like kind of weird. Oh, it was <laughs> fucking great. Fantasia is oh, yeah. awesome, man. Fantasia's that was the mm-hmm. best. It's such a it's good so festival. Cool. So with you know, Climate played at uh, Fantastic Fest, and then we played Chattanooga, which is I don't know the that's like quite a that's like quite a ways apart it is yeah. it's september to like april so I think. we're sitting there on on climate and between that and chattanooga and you know just like i guess this movie is not that good <laughs> you know what i mean it's just kind of sitting around and then we got some good reviews out of chattanooga and that was cool and then whenever we got to fantasia it was just like i mean you're just so you're five reviews a day or something you know what i mean that's and that's the only thing i can gauge it on you know be, be, it being virtual it's just kind of like People, you know, watching it and writing on Letterboxd or critics, um, you know, reviewing it with like real cool pull quotes like like you gave us. <laughs> that was that was my first pull quote. And I was so excited to see it to see it there because I, I, I love climate. I loved it so much. Uh, thank you. I did, too. Um, so it, it's on Shutter. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about what? Because we haven't really actually dug into the plot of it. Can you tell our listeners what Climate of the Hunter is it's about? It's hard for me to. Add. I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, the the uh, two. You know, the uh, two ladies vie for the affection of a uh, man or may not be a vampire. I mean, that is literally the movie. It's not. It's hard for me to um, put it into those words, like in a, in a plot, because the movie doesn't even have a plot. You know what I mean? It's not. It's not necessarily. Yeah. It's just these characters, just just a hangout movie. Um, which so is Agnes. You know, Agnes starts out like pretty, pretty procedural in the beginning, but then just becomes a hangout movie. And that's that's those are the movies I love. Movies with you know no real story, no real plot. You know, just characters hanging out. Yeah, um, I've also noticed. I, I guess in between these two films, uh, at least, is an obsession with like a focus on food. Is that? What is that about? I like, in, in I like food. Yeah. Well, I mean, me too. Fair. I guess, I guess that, that's an answer. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't have anything more than that. You know, just, okay. uh, I, I like food. Uh, you know, strike has that German chocolate cake and then it was just kind of, you know, it's a, 
to me, the three movies are like a loose trilogy, you know, Strike, Climb the Hunter, and Agnes. They're all these kind of female-centric horror drama, you know, almost, um, what do you call those movies? The little uh, small movies, based, not basement, what's the word I'm looking for? Chamber piece. Oh. Um, oh. Yeah, you know I mean? They're, like, all, they're all, nope. yeah, they're all kind of, uh, you know, in that vein. And so I kind yeah. of like put them, put them all three as like a, a loose trilogy, I guess. Cool. That's and they, awesome. and you know, Strike's got the cake, and uh, Clown Hunter's got all the food, and then you know, got to open up with a cake. Yeah, the moment I that I saw Agnes, and there's that cake being carted down the convent, I was like, oh, I'm 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 in because yeah. it was like it brought me back so many memories from climate. And what was it like making all that those gelatin foods? I had to, I just have to ask about the gelatin. <laughs> um, that was uh, Caitlin Shelby. So she's the uh, production designer on uh, all those movies. Well, not Strike. Because I didn't have anybody there, but like it was for Climate and Agnes and the new one, Country Gold. Regardless, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. The um, <laughs> uh, she would make she would go make these. Basically, I just said like I want them to, to be eating some fucking wild foods, you know, <laughs> something uh, you know like like Beetlejuice. Like you think the food is gonna like come yeah. out and eat them, you know? Then we were like leaning so hard on the '70s vibe that she just like mm. you know basically recreated some shit out of '70s cookbooks. I mean that's for real like somebody made those and anyway so she would make it and then we would and then put it on the table and I was like well we have to get you know an establishing shot of this food like a presentation um which now in hindsight is very Wes Anderson and I didn't you know think about it at the time but whenever people are like it's like a Wes Anderson vampire movie I'm not a I'm not a big fan of Wes Anderson but I I guess I understand the the comparisons and the compositions but um uh, so she would make these foods and uh, and then she would say what it is. This was just like us, you know, when she would make it and then present it to to all of us, like like we're going to do the shot. She would say what it is. And I just loved her little voice so much that I was like, you got to we have to do that in the movie. <laughs> we got to have you announce what this food is in the movie. That's amazing. Good. I love that. OK, so we've talked about your horror history, your horror career, or your filmmaking career. Um, but. What film are we talking about today, Mickey? Oh, boy. Oh, right, right. Yeah. So, Liquid Sky. Oh, boy. So, listeners, Liquid Sky. This is about a small heroin-seeking UFO that lands on a Manhattan roof, observes a bizarre drug-addicted fashion model, and sucks endorphin from her sexual encounter's brains. Yeah, I guess that's... That's a lot. Yeah. That is a lot crammed into one sentence. Um, But, you know, this was the first time I watched this movie. I know it was the first time Mary Beth watched this movie. I have to ask, how did you see this movie? When did you see this movie? I want to know everything because I have a lot of questions. (laughs) All right. I was about uh, 18, maybe. Okay. 18 or 19. I was 18 because I was still living with my grandma at the time. I uh, went somebody's... We went to this uh, older guy that we hang, hung out with. Uh, he had an apartment in the city. Um, we lived in, you know, Newcastle. Um, God, I, I know it was three, there were four of us. And um, I rented it from like Hollywood Video just because I was like, this movie's cool. And we were going to drop acid that night, and which we, <laughs> and we did. So we, you know, go into our friend's house to trip. Um, you know, our big, big, big apartment in the city, real high up too. So you got this. Uh, this balcony where you can just see the whole city and you know oh, so wow. just like already an uncomfortable <laughs> environment to you know uh-huh. un- un- or unfamiliar you know what i mean like i've yeah. you know, been to the been to the guy's house but now we're staying the night there and we're dropping acid so yeah that has a lot to do with it but the movie was just 
fucking wild. I mean, but I can't. I haven't seen it since then. Take the acid out of the equation. The movie's fucking wild. The movie is scary. What are the like? Just the choices that these that the that they're that they're making. Like, uh, you know, if you know someone will turn and it's like, like just this weird ass music. All these just these very like um, uh, just this strange like subculture that you know was kind of like uh you know kind of 80s but not really like it's still very like on a whole other end of the spectrum and uh anyway so we're frying acid and watching this movie and we watched the whole thing and i went home i drove home i was like i gotta i can't i can't do it it was i mean i was already in like an, an uncomfortable position but it, after right. watching that movie fuck that that was terrible that was frightening, so scary, and so every so I always think about that. Like it's just some horrible nightmare. I always think about that movie, and anybody, anytime anyone asks me like the scariest movie, I'm like fucking hands down, it's Liquid Sky, man. That thing is wild. So yeah, it's not jump scares or anything. It's psychologically right. fucking damaging, though. Fuck so, that movie. So like, okay. <laughs> but the movie's badass. The movie's awesome. It's fucking badass. But yeah, now now I'm able to say it's awesome. But I mean, it's still fucking frightening, and I'm not watching it again. So like, what? Yeah, I've seen Salo like so many times. You know what I mean? But like, don't, I'm not like life. Trust me, that is not like nothing scares me. This movie is fucking frightening. So like, was there a particular scene or moment that really fucking scared you? Let me just think about how I remember it in my mind. Okay. <laughs> uh, it starts out like they're. It's like uh, it's like isn't the lead the lead's like uh, it's like a, a woman dressed as a man. She has like blonde hair and has like a, a suit on, right? Or just it's just yeah, it, yeah. It's, she's, she's playing both andro- androgynous people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, I remember it goes to honestly, it's very. Uh, I bet the movie. Uh, what's the movie? Um, fucking. Um, it goes around there in that little club, uh, Neon Demon. Oh. Like after seeing that, I was like, oh man, I'll bet that's, I bet they got that shit from Liquid Sky. Cause you know, there's that, cause that's the way I remember that. that there was like this like girl and she's like singing some song. Rhythm box. You know what I mean? My rhythm oh box. My God. Like she's like, like, yeah. We gotta talk about yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah, her. Like, and they're that weird like club and that's wild. And that's, and I gear, when I was watching Neon Demon, I was like, that is exactly like, I guarantee you that's from Liquid Sky. I was yeah. getting a whole lot of like inspirations that like things that I w- have seen since then that I feel are pulling from this movie, in- in- including, I-, I mean, he's, you know, kind of revealed to be an asshole and a horrible person. But Marilyn Manson, his um, he did this this kind of glam uh, rock album where he was like an androgynous alien. Mechanical and like Yes, mechanical animals. And there was like two versions of him. One was like a rock god and one was like this alien. And they kind of he's like built this whole like kind of complex story around it. But like I was watching Liquid Sky and I was getting immediately like flashbacks to that to listening to that album and kind of the ideas of that album kind of I think that album is nowhere near as cool as the music in Liquid Sky, though. No, my God, the music in this movie, in this movie, because I started watching it and I was just like, what what is happening is this the it's incredible but like the more of it like the longer you watch the more incredible it sounded to me i was like this is perfect i could not imagine any other music to this movie it's, it's actually you know uh i know everyone knows that climbing the hunter was very um influenced by daughters of darkness yeah. um mm-hmm. daughters of darkness like that the music in that trailer when you like go look up the trailer 
where you know she's like in the sparkly dress and she like says something and then it's and then it, like cuts to like a close up and it's like like this that weird sound that shit from what i remember that shit is in liquid sky like constantly like they always like showing faces and then it's just like like in that weird 80s dissonant like i don't know these little bell like wild synth i don't know what the fuck it is it's wild it sounds like a kid's keyboard like a like a a toy and someone is just like really stoned and like kind of making music and kind of just jamming their hands on the keys and it's yeah, somehow, but like, so, but yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, but, but it somehow all comes together to make sense in a very weird way. Yeah, well, I don't, I mean, I don't remember making sense at all, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was the weed I smoked that might yeah. also have something to do with it. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very true. Uh, the, um, the, those, well, they just sound like a, some instrument that is just doesn't exist anymore. Yes. Exactly. It, it adds kind of like an otherworldly, like definite quality to it. And I mean, it makes sense because it's about aliens that come in to steal sex on uh, endorphins. So, I mean, I, I get it. Yeah. But there is, it's just, it, when you were describing the, the Daughters of Darkness with like the, the focus on the faces and the music cues, that is this movie to a T where it is like you're watching something and then all of a sudden we're doing an interstitial of a plane landing and we're having like, a focus on like this woman that's being raped and then it cuts to this German man getting off the plane. Like there is, it just, it is constantly just throwing transitions at you in such a weird way coupled with the, that music cue that just sort of like, it's so con- disconcerting. It's thunderstorming here, by the way. So if you hear something, it is storming. Storming. Sorry, I that was my face Perfect. was about it. it was like oh, I figured, a, yeah, there I, was a that's huge, what it sounded like. It was a huge crack of thunder, and I was like, "Wait, what?" Yeah, I was wondering what that sound. Yeah, it's thunderstorming. <laughs> yeah, that or someone's breaking into your house and trying to kill you. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> the, what the rest was of going the family's on. downstairs, so they have to deal with it first. Um, anyway, there it's terrible. <laughs> I don't remember like what you're describing. I don't remember. I didn't retain any kind of plot information from it. I'm not, I'm not saying. I'm sure there's a fucking plot. Um, or you know, it's some some kind of story. Um, I just don't remember any of that. There's something there. I just don't remember any of it at all, and I and I just don't want to watch it again. Not because not not, I'm fucking old now. I'm not that. I'm not scared. Let's be real. But I mean, like, I just don't want to ruin my memory of it. Yeah, yeah. I get that. Well, that's always that concern that if you revisit something you love so much, it's gonna change like you said like it's gonna change and you're gonna be like this isn't what i thought it was and i don't know what would happen exactly. with this one but it's still it sounds like it's such a specifically strong memory you have of it i make so much sense to like want to preserve that especially around such a movie like this kind of movie yeah wasn't it on shutter yeah or is it is it still on shutter no it's not on shutter anymore it was um and i it's also on youtube but i also bought the um I, I was so you said what movie you wanted to talk about Mickey and the next day I went to my local comic book shop and they had just started selling Vinegar Syndrome Blu-rays in store and Liquid oh, cool. Sky was right there and I was like well yoink kismet and I'm so That's glad awesome. I did it was so good because this is like I like a bit of like I so I I, I really like rape revenge movies like I got when I got my master's, I wrote about them. And so I did not know this was like a rape revenge kind of style movie. And that was even more exciting because it's a woman using sex to kill dudes, which is absolutely oh, incredible. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, kind of, well, yeah, kind yeah, of. It is. She yeah. Thinks, yeah. I, like, I remember she that. that aspect she, of it. she thinks that 
she's the one who's killing the dudes, mm-hmm. but doesn't know it's aliens. But like my favorite moment is when she's giving Jimmy a blowjob in front of everybody. And when he comes and the aliens like explode in his head, he just pops into like sparkles or like confetti yes. and just falls apart. And everyone in the room that's chanting, go, 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 just goes, huh? Yeah. It's such a great moment. Sounds, it's fucked up, it's, but it's it so sounds, good. Yes. <laughs> just like, that's just, it's so frightening. Yeah. It's like, what is that? People's, you know, these horror directors these days, <laughs> not, not me, but, uh, <laughs> like, I'm, you know, I'm not a horror director, I'm a comedy director. But, uh, you know, these people be making these horror movies, they need to, uh, they need to go back and, you know, see what worked on that movie. No, and it's just, it's the aesthetic too, because I was reading about how, like, this movie helped launch, like, a very specific kind of, like, clubbing aesthetic in Brooklyn, or at least it's, like, credited as, like, it's like got that David Bowie vibe to it, but like mm-hmm. to an even more of an extreme. And that entire my I was watching it. My brother walked up to me. He's like, "Are those clowns?" And I was like, "No, they're not clowns." <laughs> he was like, "Are you sure?" But I just like the production design is so good. Like it obviously is a movie made on a low budget, but the design of like the costumes and the makeup and like the set design, it doesn't feel like that. Did you guys look up uh, the director? I did. Um, in fact, I found an interview with him for Interview Magazine around the time that the movie was uh, re redone and re-released in, in theaters briefly at, um, I think, in Brooklyn, maybe. And his idea behind it was to create a fable plot, which would include all of the myths of the time, sex, drugs, rock and roll, aliens from outer space. And he said that he liked New Wave very much because New Wave had all these international elements in the style, and some of the things which he loved and probably couldn't find in America were Brecht and then Japanese Kabuki. So I was immediately thinking that, Mary Beth, when you're talking about the your brother walking in and seeing that the clouds and stuff. And the idea behind this actually started from his wife. They were from Russia, and they had recently immigrated to the United States, and so they didn't speak English very well. And so she was writing a script about a woman who couldn't get an orgasm. And then she knew English, but not enough to finish it. And they met Anne Carlise, who plays the the two roles, uh, Margaret and Jimmy, the two kind of androgynous characters in the movie. And she moved in with them and helped them finish the script. And then that's how Liquid Sky came into existence. There was a script. There was a script. <laughs> it's credited with three people. And, you know, they kind of in, in, uh, in, enveloped the idea of sort of like – kind of renegade filmmaking because they filmed in an apartment that Ann Carlise had was staying in. She knew someone. He's like, I have a penthouse. Do you want to stay there? So there, they were living in this penthouse. She was living in this penthouse and they had like all these people crammed into it filming. They didn't have permits. They filmed in New York and didn't without any kind of permits for anything that they were doing. And they were like one step away from like getting shut down all the time because they were doing everything illegal. Fuck That's, yeah. It's awesome. It's, it's wild. That's even- yeah. That's so it's cool. Awesome. It's yeah, like I said, I don't want to watch it again to you know ruin my uh, what you know, what I think the movie is, but I, I, I want to watch it now. This this <laughs> podcast is making me want to watch it. I feel like you'll have an even deeper appreciation though, because it is such a like it's so unique. But also so progressive for what it is. Like, it discussed... Like, I have never... I feel like I barely have ever seen bisexuality and pansexuality discussed as well on screen as I have in this movie. Like, there's... All of these moments where Margaret is, like, 
very quickly like waxing poetic about like philosophy and like gender and sexuality, but for like very short periods of time. And then it ends. Like it's got these really great snippets of her being like, my pussy has teeth. And I'm like, yes, it does, bitch. You are incredible. (laughs) But like, it's just so incredibly progressive with her character and like her own reclamation of her sexuality and her gender which also happens again when there's a guy, her professor is like calling her all these awful names on the roof and like saying that she looks like a whore and like her outfit's a costume. And then she goes, but aren't your blue jeans theater? And I was like, my mind has been blown by the phrase, are your blue jean, aren't your blue jeans theater? Like it sounds like such nonsense, but it's just so good. Sorry. I really enjoyed this movie. <laughs> <laughs> no i you know there's the the part that like really stuck out to me because she uh, margaret the main character is like you know she sleeps with both men and women and she talks about there someone she gets confronted by it she's like homosexual heterosexual doesn't depend on what general genitals they have only that i find them at, attractive and i was like this is surprisingly progressive for a movie in 1982 uh it just it it blew my mind the sort of things that this movie was actually discussing in amongst the weird what the fuck isms that were happening. Well, there's no doubt that those people are progressive. Oh yeah. Making a movie like that. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. there's no doubt that they were they were the up they were on a higher a higher plane there than you know whatever else was going on at that time. Well, and even Slava, the director, apparently knew Warhol and had planned to have him in um, a movie that he was making before that movie morphed into Liquid Sky. Like he wrote a a role for Warhol to be in his movie and then that movie didn't get made. I I guess that's the only thing that I can that you can really like uh, liken that movie to is, is, you know, the the Warhol 60s or really like the late 70s, like early 80s kind of Warhol were. Um, you know the whatever like Max Hedrum era, like mm, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Like that that Warhol era was where it's always him, like you know, behind that weird the, the weird eighties effects and stuff. Um, like you see like MTV, like early MTV. Yeah, it's a very it's a very colorful movie too. I don't know if you you remember that from Oh yes, <laughs> the trip. But like, oh, I, I can't I can't imagine like the the feelings that this would give me under the influence of drugs because like it is it is so colorful and then it cuts to this alien vision where because we never see the aliens but we see what the aliens are seeing and it reminded me of what would eventually become predator like it gave me that sort of heat vision predator vibes except let's make it gay because it's so fucking colorful and it's just like it's just all these colors oozing in and out of each other and it's just it's a trip without being on drugs like and that's what i think is so like thinking about this in context of like sci-fi around that era and like how everyone had these like elaborate just like designs of like aliens and different life on other planets and kind of like wanting to make this big production this movie obviously with a low budget but was able to create an alien that's kind of like fucking freaky and scary with just like these colors and these really cool like computer generated representations of orgasm and explosions and it's just so it's when you're so used to seeing so many alien movies it's really cool to be like oh wow that like there are so many other ways you could represent something so iconic in such an abstract way oddly it's not pretentious right yeah for what it is yes yeah and for what and yeah for what they're what they're uh what they're trying to get across like really isn't that pretentious you know 
and there's there's moments of like complete humor in this in this movie that kind of always take me by surprise whenever they happen because there's like this subplot involving the the German scientist that's studying the aliens and he runs into Sylvia who's the mother of Jimmy the one kind of androgynous person that's played by the lead the lead actress and she invites him up to her, to her house and orders shrimp and she loves shrimp. So she orders like shrimp fried rice and she orders jumbo shrimp and she orders anything that you possibly from this Chinese restaurant that has to do with shrimp. She is ordering it. And then she's spending the rest of the movie trying to get in his pants. And he is more interested in uh, his research onto the aliens. And she's like, well, why don't you take off your jacket and make yourself at home? And he's like, I should update my notes. I remember and she's like, orgasms and that's isn't that subject we were discussing he's like i think i should study my alien like she is trying so hard to get that d and he is so interested in the a it's like it's ridiculous uh can you guys think of other movies that could have possibly uh, been inspired by it i mean neon demon i feel like is is a given i'm trying to think off the top of my head it's just like the, i i don't know but it, it's I, just so I, singular it is. It absolutely is. And I, I feel like this movie probably has, like, you can see that the tendrils in other films. I'm just, I'm drawing a complete blank right now. I know. Why? And you know, it, you- yeah. And you know, it's not like, uh, it's not like they're just being like, you know, ridiculous and wild for no reason or, or, or that their reason is not even necessarily to like a, a political one or trying to, um, you know, uh, they don't have an agenda or anything like that. It's just like, I feel like it's just like an extension of these people's like personalities, this group of people that like hung out and decided to make a movie, you know what I mean? Just decided to make mm-hmm. art. And that's, that's what it is. It's fucking art. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there's like there, um, when I was looking on Wikipedia, there's a, there was a lot of things about how they didn't get, um, you know, any real big actors or any real actors at the time. Like these, a lot of these people, this might've been their only movie or like their second movie. And they just sort of like all got together and, and did the thing. And I'm like, I, I think that's amazing. I love movies like that. Cause it, you would see that a lot with them. Um, I think it was Larry Cohen. That was kind of the renegade filmmaker that was filming in, you know, cities without any permits and all that kind of stuff just right. to get the shit done. And I just, I, there, that was definitely a time where like, people would go out there and just do that without, you know, fuck the law, fuck whatever was going to happen. We're just going to get this, this movie made. And I think that's so punk. Oh yeah, totally. But you know, there, I, one of the things that like, I, I really enjoy, there's one moment in this movie where Margaret kind of goes on a monologue about the life that was laid out for her as she is putting on kind of, kind of in a way kabuki makeup like she is sitting there putting on like her makeup as she's ready to go out and she's talking about how like she was taught that her prince would come and she would have his children and on the weekends we would have barbecue and she's like or that she was taught to come to nyc and become an independent woman but that her prince would come and be an agent and get her roles and but the roles wouldn't come until she was either 30 40 or 50 and she'd be waiting tables and she's talking about how like she was told to be free so go fuck women because instead of men you'll discover freedom and then and she's like, men won't stop on you anymore, but women will. She's like, so come on, who wants to teach me? Like she is looking for that next kind of high, that next bit of, of love that she is not getting on earth. And that is eventually when she orgasms and gets dissolved and goes on with the aliens. And it's such a, yeah. a heart of this movie that <laughs> and, I just and, like, and, yeah, just describing it, you know, it sounds like fucking trash. Like, um, okay. Like if I'm thinking about a movie, like, do you guys remember the movie I shot Andy Warhol? Yeah, about Valerie Solanas, like the, mm-hmm. those little plays that she put on, and um, and her manifesto, uh, and all that, like you know, was more like uh, agenda oriented, and that's what I'm saying about this movie. Is this is like similar material in that, 
Like this mm-hmm. is like spawning from the from the same they're you know the same thread. Like, but they're not capitalizing on it. They're capitalizing on so many uh, you know other things to to draw your attention to to where you're not just focused on that. Uh, particular aspect of you know of the whatever what whatever they're trying to tell because they're trying to tell so much and they're trying to tell it in such a surrealist way. Yeah, absolutely. That it doesn't become heavy handed like the, no. like yeah. the Valerie Solana stuff. Yeah. No, it, it well, it, and the the one character there's her uh, Margaret's sort of girlfriend, I guess, who is sort of a performance artist as well. Um, she does this when she's introduced. She is like beatboxing and doing this sort of like i don't know slam poetry about a rhythm box and she is talking about like me me and my me and my rhythm box and she's like it never shits it never sleeps and i'm just like this movie goes from this ridiculousness about that and then after someone dies she makes this this poem about how he's dead now shit and you're going to hell straight from your marijuana jungle straight from your lies like this movie can go from that to kind of dropping some like sort of sexual revolution pansexual like truths to then being about rape revenge and i'm just like there's so much going on in this little film but then also about the heroin epidemic as well you know what i mean like when that was a bit like you know heroin is still a huge problem but in this movie too it also weaves in that kind of the 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 like the obsession of the time and also like made me think a lot about how it's interesting how we film drugs on camera, like with heroin, especially and how it is like this weird spectacle of the act of doing drugs, which is so fascinating to me about like, I don't understand, I guess like how we decided that that was a way to depict drug use. And that was something that stuck out to me when I was watching this today. made me think about that. Mm. Well, that's mm-hmm. like what I was describing the first movie we made, like train spotting, you know, cause we yeah. thought it looks so fucking cool. What those mm-hmm. guys, you know, they always make heroin look so fucking cool. Right. I've never done heroin. I will never do it. I'm too, I'm just, I'm, yeah, too scared. But don't do heroin. <laughs> like I've lost too many friends and family members to it, everybody. It's bad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would never, but they make it, but they make it look so cool in the movies. Yeah, right. that's a good way to put it. Cause I guess, cause I like my, like, my, my relationship to it, it's hard for me to remember that people, like, it looked cool. Like, it, I don't know. It wasn't as, like people knew it was bad, but it was like it wasn't. You said it looks it looks cooler in these kinds of movies in a weird. Yeah, area. yeah, totally. And then you and then you have uh, all the rock stars that have uh, you know died of heroin, and you know of course yep. they're fucking cool. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Weird. So it's just like, what a weird. Wow. Yeah, it's just the cool drug. And I mean this this movie kind of embraces that because everyone's looking for that hit, and it's done in such a color. It's such I think candy colored because the way the film is looks, it's such a larger than life sort of fable and so it kind of it definitely kind of aggrandizes that as well unfortunately in this in this film but i I do think that that was sort of the sort of punk aesthetic of that time and everyone was doing it yeah yeah i don't know about that what i you know like i said i think it was just some and it might not have even been a a subculture that existed it might have existed because of that movie you know what i mean just it Mm might have just been that that real small group of friends that just wanted to depict whatever scene that they were in as just something, you know, grander than it really was. I feel like, so like my stepdad, I wonder if he'll hear me say this, but like, he's not a club kid, but like, he was like, not this level of like weird, but I feel like he hung out with people that were like adjacent to this scene. And I was like, I want him to watch this movie and tell me how accurate it is to his experience growing up in Baltimore city in like the eighties, <laughs> like, and what it was like, yeah. 
with that kind of vibe. I'm always very curious, like when he talks about that, that time in his life and how they did a lot of drugs and the weird shit they got into. It's incredible and terrifying that he was that young being an absolute punk idiot. <laughs> that sort of like, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but the, the humor in this movie, uh, there was a couple lines that I, I immediately had to take down because they were just so, it just really struck me as really funny. Like there, the part where Margaret's teacher comes and he's sort of like hitting on her. He wants to sleep with her because everyone wants to sleep with Margaret. And, He's like, you were my best student. And she's like, we spent most of our time in bed. And it's such like a little throwaway line. But it's it's so funny because it's like just the sort of like dichotomy of like him saying, yeah, you're my best student. She's like, we only fucked. And then there's the later where like Paul wants to entertain. And then he says, quote, the way men have always entertained women. I'm going to show you the difference between men and women. I'm going to make you come. And she's like, so what? I can come with or without you. It's just like the sort of flippant attitude that she has towards these men that just want to make them kind of their possessions is just it's it's surprisingly, again, revolutionary for this film. Does that that scene you're speaking of happens in that room? That's like from what I remember is like a she had like did she have like a blue sport jacket on and then there was like a the walls were red yeah i believe it, it i was, believe it was like so, a dressing yeah. room kind of thing mm-hmm. where there was like a mirror okay mm-hmm. see that's that's the only way i remember the movie is just like, <laughs> <laughs> like the, the visuals of it yeah that's yeah, it's wild i don't know i'm sorry i hadn't watched it. i didn't want to watch it again no because of the experience that. but like so i kind of like i, I like the, that much i like the vibe though of you just like being, this is what i remember and like but what you remembered a lot though from seeing it like when you were well, it's not so. You much. know, it's it stayed with me, seared into your brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like I said, I just I can't I can't imagine seeing this in, under like under the influence of anything because it, young it's, too. I was like eighteen. Yeah, I, yeah, and I I was really curious. That was one of the things I was really curious about because this movie does tackle like a lot of sexual assault and and violence and stuff. And I was I was curious. If that ever, I mean, you obviously were a little older than I, than I was, I was curious. I, in my mind, you were like six or seven when you saw this movie and I was like, oh, no, no, no. how would this like color your perception of the world at the time? But like, that's just, even, even 18, I, I don't know if I'd be able to process this movie. Well, I, I might think, be too young. I'm, I still might be too young to watch this movie. I'm sure I would have saw it sooner, but I think that was the first time I had seen it. I just saw it. You know, this was Hollywood Video. So this was on mm-hmm. VHS. We watched it too. Mm-hmm. Hollywood Video. Do you guys remember Hollywood Video? Oh I'm yeah. Surprised that was at a hol- I don't know. Maybe I'm not remembering Hollywood, Hollywood Video had some had some cool shit. It did. Um, Hollywood Video was the place true. to they go. It was cool, much better yeah, they than had Blockbuster. Than Blockbuster. That's true. Yeah. So Hollywood, and also you could rent it for like five days or seven days or something. I think mm-hmm. it was five days. Um, and if you got a new release, then you take it back and you get you know, like a dollar credit or something like that. Yep. <laughs> Hollywood yes. video was awesome. Why? It was yeah. awesome. Why? I want Hollywood <laughs> video back. Anyway, so, um, so yeah, I, I guarantee I would have fucking watched that movie sooner, but that, that it, it was just released at Hollywood video. And I was like, Oh, well this speaks to me. I have to ask. Cause like I've, I've asked someone else cause, um, I, but and and it wasn't the same there, and I was curious if this was just my local Hollywood video. Did did your Hollywood video um, employees did they have to wear like suits, tuxes? Excuse me. Do you remember? 
I don't remember tuxes. No, I don't think so. Okay, because my like my Hollywood video, they were dressed to the to the nines. Maybe. Everyone had to wear like like a suit and stuff. And I was asking someone else about this, and they're like, "No, they were just wearing like a, a red polo or something." And I was like, <laughs> "Oh, maybe this is maybe this is just like my local area thing." So every time someone brings up Hollywood video, I have to ask because I'm I'm just I'm enthralled about this idea because I was I wanted to work there, but I was like, "There's no way I'm gonna go work at this place where I have to wear a fucking tux." When I was. Uh, <laughs> 18 i got um a really good job and uh and i kept it for like 16 years before i started you know just making you know film full time and so i guarantee if i hadn't have gotten that job i would have been i would have been uh, like working a hollywood video until they closed i mean i was there every day every day i loved it's just like and i'd seen everything i would go to other hollywood videos maybe they have something different you know what I mean? I just mm-hmm. I loved that store. I loved that store, and I loved uh, and we still have them. We still, we have a place called Vintage Stock. Is that I don't know if that's a local thing mm-hmm. or if that's well, it's a place called Vintage Stock. There's a few of them, so I I feel like it is a chain, but and they still have um you know old DVDs. You go trade in your DVDs. You go sell your old DVDs. I've just I can't help it. I'm a fucking sucker for it, man. I still collect DVDs. I love that. Oh show. yeah, me too. And I have a place like it's a similar thing. It's like my local record store is like a used record store, and you can bring in your old DVDs and trade them in, and then other people bring in their movies. And I have found some like some cool like Blu-rays that I wouldn't, I haven't like wouldn't have thought to find anywhere else, and like some Criterion's. It's really awesome. And every time I go, I always come back with at least four movies. And I have no shelf space left. They're just piling up everywhere. But I can't oh, yeah. stop. And my, fia- yeah, my no, fiance is like, where where are we going to put all this? I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, but we're going to find some space. So, yep. Uh, yeah, I still, I still order stuff on Amazon. Or, yeah, or go physically shop. Or, you know, just stuff that I know I'm not going to be able to find. I, the last thing I bought, like, last week was uh, Sean Penn's first movie, Indian Runner. The first movie he directed. Oh, wow. I forgot he directed oh. that. <laughs> Indian Runner, The Crossing Guard, Into the Wild, and uh, The Pledge. And then he had the, now he's got this new one coming out, Flag Day. I'm a fucking huge Sean Penn fan. I love Sean Penn. Huh. He's great. Huh. Sweet and Lowdown? That's like one of the best movies ever made. Uh, I forget. It's Woody Allen, but whatever. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a fucking good movie. He's so awesome in it. But yeah. At any rate, what else? But um, do we want to wrap yeah. this up and give us a, give a rating out of five? Terry, how many rhythm boxes out of five do you give? Like you know, I, it's me and my me and my me and my four and a half rhythm boxes. Four and a half, yeah, and it, very good. Not, they don't shit, so they make good roommates. I have to say. Um, they never sleep either, which is kind of weird, but no, I, I love this movie. I was surprised at how much I love this movie. I, I've had this movie since 2018 when I think I listened to it on shockwaves podcast. They were talk, they, they would talk about movies and it was a vinegar syndrome release and I ordered it. And now I've become like a sucker for vinegar syndrome. I signed up for their yearly releases and they just deliver movies to me every month. And it's great until I run out of space. And then I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do with this? And I keep ordering more because these are movies that you don't get to see anymore. And you find Sometimes not all of them are good. A lot of them are terrible, but sometimes you find a gem like this and it's been sitting in my collection since 2018. I just moved. I went digging through my boxes trying to find this movie to watch for this recording. And I was so glad that I did. I, this movie, 
it's it's progressive it's punk as fuck it's dealing with a lot of things that like you would see in movies in the next 20 years and it's talking about it in this little no name 1982 movie about from a from russian emigrants that moved here didn't know english and hired this actress to to move in with them and write the script i mean like this is amazing i i i love this movie what about you mary beth yeah, same. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> um, four, I four and a half rhythm boxes for me. I think I'm so glad I have seen this movie and I've been exposed to it and I can make everyone watch it now. And I have it on Blu-ray, so they can't escape me from showing it to them. There you go. And I just am like very excited to find a new cool like a new take on the rape revenge movie in a really fascinating way with some really awesome bisexual ladies. And I am so grateful that I have to watch this. Um, Mickey, you have the final word. How many were the boxes out of five? The final word. Um, let's see. So I, you know, I have a, a love-hate relationship with this movie. I don't know where the love comes <laughs> in, but I, uh, you know, the it was, a, it was, it impacted me a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And, um so giving it a rating, I don't know that I could. It's either going to be five or nothing. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> you know okay. what I mean? Yeah, it does make sense. Yeah, I, um, I don't. I, I didn't. I don't. I didn't retain any of the information um, other than just other than the visuals and and uh, and the aesthetic and and uh, the sound design. And I remember all of that very clearly. Um, and just you know, individual scenes. I, I guarantee you, I watched the movie again. I still will probably not be able to focus on what's actually happening. I will be so enthralled with, you know, with, with the aesthetic of it all, um, which happens to me a lot in movies, like just watching movies in general. But like, um, so yeah, it's going to be, uh, I mean, I guess if I have to give it a rating, it's going to be, it's going to be all the way five because like, you know, it's a movie that it just does what movies should do. You know, it's stuck with me all these years. Hell yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Mickey. Where can our listeners find you? And what do you have that you'd like to, to plug? Ah, I don't anything? know. What am I supposed to plug? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I've, I've got, you know, I've, I've been, I've, earlier this week I did some, um, or what is it? Today's like Monday, isn't it? No, it's the last week. I did uh, some interviews with, about Climbing the Hunter it, it, releasing in the U.K., and that movie, you mm-hmm. know, we finished that movie in like 2019. Right. So, um, and then I've got Agnes stuff coming up. It's really hard to, you know, I, like I said, used to just making a million movies and, you know, make, we made those like, three movies a year, like premiering them and blah, blah, blah. And now that they're getting kind of, um, you know, festival presence and, and press uh, and having to uh, do the interview, not having to, I love to do the interview. I love doing this. I love talking to, you know, people that I've never been able to find otherwise, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. but, um, so I don't know, like, what's what right now, I guess. So Climbing Hunter's got that UK release. That's cool. Um, that's happening. Love that movie. Agnes. I've, I have some news about Agnes, but I don't know if, I don't know the, I don't know what I'm supposed to say and what I'm not supposed to say. You know what I mean? So I'll, 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 I'll refrain from saying that on the podcast, but whenever we're not on the record, I'll tell you some news on that. (laughs) Uh, Agnes is playing it. There we go. I got it. Okay. All that stuff I said, forget all that. Edit that out. Here's what I got. Uh, Agnes is playing at Fantastic Fest in Austin next month. The, 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 um, the festival that, uh, that started it all. And I'm uh, very excited about that. Um, 
I've got a movie called Country Gold. Um, should probably be coming out next year. Okay. Um, and yeah, working on a script. So just, uh, you know, staying busy. So you're going to have another three movies by the time, uh, by the time Agnes hits, hits view. By the time this going. episode yeah. comes out, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, uh, you know, let's stay in touch. Let's, you know, let's talk, let's talk every movie if we can, please. Yes, please. Oh yeah. I'd love that. But listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with Liquid Sky? Did you have an experience with Liquid Sky? Because I would love to know if you watched this when you were younger. Um, send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm a Gaily Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thanks everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.